The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. I'm feeling a lot better actually, yeah. I just want to thank everyone for continuing to listen to your pod. You were getting a bit desperate there. We're glad that you've joined us on this journey. Mm. We're thankful every day. (laughs) We just want to bring you laughter, sometimes tears, Mm -hmm. and maybe make you think (laughs) over your rush hour home coffee. When you listen to the pod. Uh, That is a a, a very niche joke. Thank you, Ben Thomas. Also, we have with us today a very special guest uh, as our producer, Tina Tiller. Good morning. Good morning, Tina. The gang's been a while. It's been a while. Finally. Who would have thought? We're missing T.I. here, but it's nice to have... uh, one it's of his the tie, he got originals. Full time with his ASMR channel now. Uh, yeah, hope so. <laughs> hope so. Um, uh, but Tina's got a lovely voice too. She's the J Lo of of New Zealand she podcasting. Um, what are we going to talk about today on Gone by Lunchtime Politics Podcast? Brought to you by spinoff members who are the greatest. We're going to talk about Cinder Ardern being in the USA. Maybe we're going to talk about the Pacific. And I think we should also talk about. The Queen. Should we save the Queen or do you want to pay tribute to the Queen immediately, Annabelle? Um, no, let's let's save Kui God save the Queen. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll mark it on the 75th anniversary. It's yeah. just useful for you to know that we have bunting all around the studio. Uh, ben is wearing a full Union Jack blazer and looking very fetching in it too, direct from the gym. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently waving two small British flags. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck midway on a zip line through the spin-off offices. Mm-hmm. Um, fireworks are going off and the the sun will never set on the Empire. And Sunny, Annabelle's dog, is sitting on her lap in a knitted uh, Union Jack sleeve mm-hmm. with a tiara. Yeah, and I'm wearing a fascinator shaped like a toilet seat. Yes. <laughs> 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 and and Tina is behaving like which one of it was um, Kate's baby kid, the little boy who kept on. Oh, do you see George? that covering no. the mouth? Is it no, it's the little, little one. Yeah, mm. it's not easy. Not Try easy doing that on fan. the Marae Louis and see how you get on. <laughs> uh, Jacinda Ardern last week returned from the United States of America, our true empire. Uh, she had three big engagements there. The big three: Stephen Colbert. Joe Biden and and Dr. Harvard. <laughs> Harvard. Um, <laughs> where Dr. Ardern was. Where she, her research was recognised. Yeah. Um, uh, ben, 
Did it matter? Was it important? What are the rewards? From a New Zealand point of view, it is important in the sense that, you know, it's become a bit pat now, but circumstances have changed very quickly for us. We'll get onto it later, but uh, things in the Pacific are heating up. Uh, This traditional fine line that New Zealand has walked Mm. between close trade allegiance to China and strategic and defence allegiance to or alignment with um, Australia, America, the the West, basically, um, that that fine line is becoming narrower and narrower. Um, you know, it's it's becoming impossible to even fence tightrope walk, let alone fence sit. Mm. Uh, the the Pacific was the, the chief you know, chief point of discussion uh, between Ardern and Biden, getting a meeting at the White House, no small thing for a New Zealand prime minister. Mm. Uh, you know, as we mentioned last time, you know, quote unquote, fortuitous circumstances for her, the tragic shooting in Ovalde, Texas, uh, meant that, you know, she was not just recalling, but also playing to sort of the strengths mm. of her prime ministership. She was she was there in the United States to talk about gun control mm. uh, and, you know, maybe remind people back at home about, you know, some of the decisive and, you know, universally sort of praised things she's done as leader. Uh, Stephen Colbert shows she's an amazing ambassador for New Zealand. You know, she really, she, she has, she has charm, magnetism, um, charisma, and a chili yeah. bin full of meat. Yeah, she, she, she is. She's. I think she's exactly how a lot of New Zealanders, particularly those crucial median voters, love to see New Zealand portrayed on the world stage. You know, in this kind of post post flight of the Concord, sort of self deprecating, funny, charming mm. sort of thing, and you know, liberal. Uh, you know, we, we actually can't fault her. She is one of the best representatives of New Zealand overseas that we've ever seen. Back home, I don't know that it had the impact that it might have, you know, a year ago. Uh, back home, the issues are very, very domestic. You know, it's cost of living. You wrote a very good piece on the spin-off uh, about uh, the latest Ipsos poll, mm. uh, which showed that, the, the you know, which asked, uh, it's the, what is it, the Ipsos mood of the nation mm. or snapshot of the nation or whatever, where they ask voters to rank their top, you know, name their top three issues, and, and when you break it down of those top three issues between, th- uh, you know, the top six that were named by anyone in their top three, uh, three or four of them are basically just the economy and everything's costing too much and I don't feel good about my hip pocket. Mm. You know, inflation was inflation slash cost of living was by far and away the, the biggest. I think 56% of people noted that that was one of their top three concerns. Then fuel and gas prices, I think, was third. Uh, or maybe even third, was it, or second? And that's the exact same thing, right? Yeah. So people are really fixated on those hip, hip pocket questions. The other thing that's been happening in her absence is gang warfare seems to have just broken out in South Auckland. You know, we haven't, you know, I think ga- gang violence tended to sort of fly under the radar uh, when it was just gang, gang v gang. And everyone, including the gang, seemed relatively happy with that, you know, fairly or not. But, you know, thanks to the new tactics of drive-by shootings in suburban neighbourhoods, you're getting, you know, poor builders and flatties having bullets spray through their windows while they're having a nice dinner on their bedroom floor. Um, That's causing, you know, a lot of concern. 
uh, government's government's response, uh, probably what you'd expect, but in the past, you know, the rhetoric on gangs hasn't exactly been tough. And so basically, you know, a real sharp distinction between how how her visit went and, you know, her overseas sort of persona um, and, and things back here. Normally we like to see New Zealanders doing well on the world stage. We feel a sense of pride. I think there still would have been some of that, but probably uh, would have would have... You know, see, seeing the Prime Minister on the cover of a magazine at the gas station after you've just spent 150 bucks filling up your car probably doesn't uh, warm your heart as much as it would have previously. Uh, there was a time, Annabelle, when, as Ben says, all of the, that overseas coverage would have been more popular. But having said that, her detractors were very keen, <laughs> and it was quite interesting watching it during the course of that trip to find reasons that she had... Uh, failed, whether it was unable to get a White House visit, whether it was unable to, you know, secure the spots that they were after, whether it was unable, un, whether it she was the open, <laughs> open doors for the trade delegation and so on. Why but didn't then she guessed on there SNL? Is that sense, SNL, don't even. And then to to return, it's like it's, almost, it's a literal returning back to Earth, it's not the, the coming back to New Zealand. Just the kind to of Middle Earth. The kind of, thank you, thank you very much. Um, podcast awards. That's nailed down. <laughs> that's that's our promo done. Um, get it to ZM. Get it to NZME. Get this on the airwaves. Is that what it amounts to, Bells? Well, I mean, I think, like Ben says, the domestic issues that we are facing here um, are not going to turn the tide of what we're seeing in the polls, which is that you know Labor's popularity is slipping. Mm. But in real terms. Her trip to the US was an incredible success, and not just for her own personal brand, but for New Zealand business, for New Zealand tourism. The, the type of marketing that they got through shows like Colbert and all of that is worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, and we literally could not ask for a better brand ambassador for brand New Zealand than she her. She said on Colbert... From September, the whatever it is, yeah. direct flights from New York to New Zealand, come and see us in Colbert and his Middle Earth fashion goes, yes, go and see it. It's the best place in the world. I mean, that's... Her sales pitch is like it's so pretty slack. point. It is <laughs> oh, so she, slick. She, she's a maestro, right? Uh, you know, any, any, anyone who wanted to quibble about how she actually performs on these visits overseas, you know, is it's either sour grapes or just detachment from reality. You know, she's fantastic at this. And it kind of um, shows that the right is actually just as tribal as the left, because if you are thinking strategically, Jacinda Ardern is a far better brand ambassador for New Zealand than what Luxon is. Luxon's got his own amazing skill sets in that, but he's never going to translate as potently as what Ardern is being a young mum, um, a woman, you know, this gorgeous, funny, amazing ambassador. So when you think about where we are economically and with what's going on in the Pacific, if we want to have stronger ties with the US, and I'm not saying that we necessarily do, it makes no sense for people to be reigning all over the work that she's done because if we do want to have a bit more economic independence from China, developing that stronger economic relationship with America is going to be key. Maybe when uh, Christopher Luxon is the Prime Minister, he could appoint her to a, to a 
to a role as a sort of business ambassador. Like he was the head of her business advisory council. Well, like, but that was, wasn't that in Guyan's interview with uh, Guyan Espinosa's very was long it? interview? Was it? Uh, he he put to Luxon that when Luxon um, was considering entering politics or when he entered politics, he said that. Um, most of politics is marketing, and I've been a I've been a brand manager mm. in the past. Mm. So, but but actually, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, Ardern is one of the best at marketing we've ever seen. You know, I don't mean that in a cynical sense. Mm. You know, she just she understands the market segments. She understands what people want, and and she just is. You know, what the what the outside world wants from New Zealand. You know, as a representative, and um, all the stars aligned in terms of is it Uvalde? Is it Hayset? which is, like, awful. But, mm. again, and it goes back to what I said last week, I think it was just as important for Biden to be seen with Ardern as it was for Ardern to be seen with Biden. Yeah, and, I mean, the, and, and, and you know, the perhaps unfairness of politics is that none of this has really helped her domestically at all, mm. I don't think. Mm. Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, it might have shored up some of the base a bit. I don't know. I mean, I think I think that, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it was, you have to look pretty hard beyond the, almost inevitable fucking up of the aeroplane. <laughs> I don't see that anything really went wrong with that trip, you know, um, given they had to navigate a bit of COVID, they had to do with, I mean, being able to speak at Harvard to to a, a, a rapture about misinformation and all of that, to be able to get a meeting as well with Kamala Harris at the White House. Look, we can overstate these things in the way that from New Zealand we do sometimes, mm. but there wasn't much that went wrong. And then, but as you say, Ben, back home, it's not going to shift the dial in any massive sense. And the polling suggests that hasn't happened. Well, let's talk about the polls a little bit. The, there was a TVNZ poll that came out, I think it was uh, early last week. Um, a million years ago in podcast years. Yes. And that, it was it was pretty much... Stable from the previous yep. uh, TVNZ uh, Cantor poll with, with National on 39, Labor 35, Green 10, Act 7, and I think, again, that would have left the Māori Party with the balance of power on 2%, assuming they could get back into Parliament. Then just this week we've had a Roy Morgan poll, and some people have, have um, uh, are sceptical about the Roy Morgan polls and the but Although the trend like, is still pretty compelling. It, 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 its trend has tracked the other polls this year. Yeah. And as Matthew Houdin likes to point out, he's a Roy Morgan believer. I'm a Roy Morgan doubter. Oh. But he, he says Roy Morgan most accurately predicted the final election result last year. Now, a lot of that's a function of when the polls come St- out. Stop, stop clock is, is but, right yeah. twice a day too. The, uh, but, but, but in any case, it, it's, it's, it's not, they're not made-up numbers. Let's, let's, yeah. Sometimes the Roy Morgan cynicism we, can overplay into the idea that there's Where Roy Morgan of, really falls down is its analysis. Where they just because sort it's of, being done from Australia. From Australia. They, <laughs> they, sort of just, look at, they look at the recent headlines, including do news search, stories from New Zealand. they did their New poll. Zealand and then politics they say it's probably news. because of this. And they and, go, the sheep-sharing context, negative. Yeah, it's a dramatic effect on the yeah. It really is just yeah, insanely bad analysis. But But the the numbers are are numbers, and those numbers put uh, national on forty, labour on thirty one point five, which is a bit of a gap in terms of blocks. It puts uh, national and act together on fifty, which is within a whisker, and Labour Greens on 43. This is the first poll I think where we've seen a real gap open up between the the right and the left blocks. 
um, you know, in in a, in in. I think there was one taxpayer union courier poll mm. which showed uh, ACT National ahead of the Greens uh, and Labour and the Māori Party combined. Um, but mo- but the, the majority, even though I think it's something like nine out of the last 11 polls have shown national ahead of Labour, mm. but the majority of those have shown that it's a hung parliament that it all relies on the Māori Party. Um, so the, the, this is only about the second poll which shows the right being able, to, the centre-right being able to form a government. Um, but that that's, that's part of a trend um, and that will be really worrying people in the beehive. I yeah. think there's some interesting stuff you could potentially read into it. Like, on one hand, you could look at what's happening with ACT and say, well, now that National has a, a credible leader, their support is, is dropping. But also, perhaps you could also look at, at their their support dropping and think maybe people don't care as much about co-governance in the treaty as what David Seymour would like to think they do. Mm. And that, well, if, you um, look, if you look at that Ipsos poll, you know, Māori issues and treaty and that sort of thing, you know, I think about, what, 6% of people say that it's in their top three issues, and that, and that pretty closely mirrors the ACT vote. So, you know, the, these are these are minority issues now. Mm. Um, you know, I think, you know, as somebody who's worked in the treaty space for a long time, I actually find that a very encouraging sign that, mm-hmm. you know, in the mid-2000s, this was major party stuff that, you know, the Labour Party and National were both trying to show that they were, they were tougher on Māori and stuff. Um, and now it's, you know, it's a minor party concern. Luxon, you know, Luxon, you know, opposes... Uh, you know, co-governance, three waters, Māori Health Authority, those are inherited positions. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, he certainly doesn't go down that route of really hmm. obvious sort of treaty baiting the way that Seymour has. Um, and, and I feel like he's has he's started to retreat more and more from getting caught in, into conversations around those kind of um, treaty-based issues. I don't think they want to talk about it. They just want to talk about cost of living right yeah. now. They want to talk about petrol prices. They want to talk about groceries hmm. and, and government spending and kind of let people make the associative leap yeah. between yeah. the three things. And, 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 the, and the other thing too is probably not just because voters care more about that stuff too, but I don't think they want to completely alienate themselves from the Māori Party given where they're sitting on current polling and that they might end up being a vital yeah. um, coalition partner for, for either side. The other thing that's interesting is, you know, when you look at the Green vote and um, and the Māori Party vote is what what is one thing Labour hasn't been very good at is supporting its potential coalition partners the way National did with um, with its very undemocratic um, support of ACT in the past in, in, um, in Epsom. So uh, will Labour potentially um, just ran, run party vote campaigns in some of the Māori seats to help bring some more Māori party MPs in? I doubt it, but uh, in fact, it's. <laughs> we know that, it, but it wouldn't necessarily be not in their best yep. interest. Yeah. Um, and the same thing too in a seat like Auckland Central, where you have Chloe. Um, would you? Would you? Would you go? Would you r- just run a, a party yeah. vote campaign yeah. there and ensure yeah. that your mates are there or not? As as an aside, I, actually, somebody asked about this the other day, and I hadn't thought about it, but uh, you know. In terms of Auckland Central, what I think you'll see is uh, kind of like when uh, Katrina Shanks, uh, a little-known uh, nationalist MP. Or Hardier. 
it ran in Ohario and the party was like, look, take the pedal off the gas. And she was like, I'm going to be the Ohario MP. Yeah. I think Helen White will be, it'll be very hard to persuade Helen White not to try and sort of take the crown that she was denied. Yeah. At the same time, I think it'll be much harder for her to rally a big volunteer base. You know, the volunteer base in Auckland Central tends to be quite young. Uh, I think it will be hard to get them, you know, to pull them into an army to try and depose uh, yeah. Chloe Swarbrick. I don't think she'll get a lot of support from the party itself. The I'll think that their resources are better used elsewhere. Um, I, so I, the, but the, the complicating factor I think for everyone is that, you know, it was a national seat. You know, thanks to Nikki Kay, it was a Nikki Kay seat more than a national seat. Mm. But if well, national is resurgent, and mm. if national is resurgent amongst younger voters, yeah, uh, who would they put there? That, well, if they get a strong candidate, and yeah. Emma Mello was not a terrible candidate last mm. time. She was she was she given got, a real hospital caught, caught up in a few awkward. Teams, oh, she? God, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, she, she's a hard worker. She, she, If she had more time on the ground and if Nationals voters swinging back, you know, by a, a massive amount right now, mm. uh, you know, 25% party vote versus maybe, say, 40 the start, uh, in the coming election, say, uh, you know, that really complicates the picture in there. So, you know... I mean, I think the other interesting thing that the polls show too is that New uh. Zealanders kind of don't care about policy. <laughs> like, you've just come through the budget, there's been all of these sort of lollies sprinkled around the place and whatnot. National, aside, besides from saying they'll give rich people tax cuts, have not come up with any compelling policy whatsoever, and yet they're, they're still gaining ground, which, again, just comes back to that yeah. thing of once, once people are a little bit sick of you, they're a little bit sick of you, and it doesn't matter what you say unless and probably you come up with that golden policy. a huge that, amount yeah. of attention, are they? And, I mean, that goes back to the, that's the reason why we've seen that... that um, that Labour attack ad, which has probably got a disproportionate amount of attention, but that's because it symbolises something, which is the one where it says Chris, Christopher Luxon said he was going to mm. announce these things, and what has he announced in six months? Nothing. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And that's an attempt to apply some pressure yeah. on via the public on Luxon to say things. And Luxon's the, – the strategy from National, and, and, and I think probably the pragmatic one at this point, is not to be drawn, not to be drawn into the, the way that so many opposition mm. leaders have over the years been drawn into debates that they're better off just saying, I'm not interested in going down that path because there's a dangerous path to go down because then the story becomes about you. Yeah. And we've talked about it before, and I'm in danger of overstating this, but the small target strategy that we saw played out in the Australian election recently was precisely to avoid that peril. The, yeah, and, and look, we're at a different stage of the cycle to uh, the Australians as well, obviously, since we didn't just have they're very They're very early in their cycle. Yeah, well, yeah that's true. Uh, we're midway through. Luxon's been the leader now for about, what, seven, six or seven months. Mm. They've got what, a year and probably 15, 16 months to the next election. National has been a basket case in opposition so far, right? And their caucus hasn't applied themselves. Um, there's been a lot of shifting and changing around and demotions and promotions and and, and a lot of sort of Hail Mary passes as, you know, under previous leaders, particularly Judith Collins, you know, they went after Hipua Pua, they, you know... They just sort of throw things out, you know, the people mm. call it, you know, ch chasing after every car. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with chasing after every car if, if you're actually doing damage to the government. But if all you're doing is throwing out alternative policies, which can easily be knocked down or aren't credible or are hard to understand, there's no value in it. What, what you know, the, the National Party right now, there, there is a very, you know, there's a huge danger that they will become the next government you know, sort of in a canter uh, because of, you know, cost of living issues, uh, you know, things like that, uh, or just, you know, beach cricket, you know, it's some time for a turn for someone else. But they will be just as underdone and underprepared as the 2017 Labour caucus was. So yeah. what their caucus needs to actually be doing right now is doing the hard yards in policy areas. If you're in health, get along to hospitals, talk to doctors, talk to industry associations, you know, spend time at A&E like Tony Ryle did. If you're in, uh, you know, if, if, if you're in commerce, go and go and talk to, you know, people who are being supply, suppliers to supermarkets. You know, too much of Nationals policy has been politically dictated, you know, just sort of politicians sitting at whiteboards thinking what, what might get us a 1% bump in the next poll. Mm. They actually, you know, that, that's, first of all, that's obviously not a good way to come up with policy uh, that, that works and is sustainable for a government. But second of all, you know, if you're just, if you're just doing everything as a brainstorming exercise, that's, that's not going to have the heft that's needed to withstand attacks from the government if it's if it's half baked, you know we've seen over the years, you know with this fiscal hole stuff, the whoever is in government they will go you. They will say we've got treasury costings that disprove what you're saying. This is incredible. You've got no credibility on this. So, both for political and substantive reasons, national shouldn't be releasing policy now. National should start releasing policy next year. Uh, after they've actually figured out what it is and that it will it will help in the portfolios, the 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 third reason, which is sort of related to both of those, is that if you can't, you know, governments are very good at triangulating. If you come up with a good policy now, the government will just take it and do it. <laughs> <laughs> right? John Key was a master of this, yeah. and Ardern's been pretty good as well. If if the opposition comes up with a popular policy, the government will just do it. <laughs> And then they'll say, we've done this popular thing. Uh, very good point. Excellent advice. People pay top dollar for that. The the one thing I just, just, just going back to the point on Auckland Central, on support parties, on, you know, and the, the potential for coattailing and stuff. One of the things that I think is striking right now, notwithstanding, as you both say, that it's a wee while to go, 15 months at least probably, it's actually quite stable. Mm. It's actually... You know, ACT went down to I think as, as low as seven in one of the polls, but they're, they're, that, 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 they don't look like sinking lower than that. The Greens have been remarkably stable on about 10% all the way through without They've having made a really huge amount well, of noise. Eh? And part of that is to do, I mean, interestingly, in that in that Ipsops poll that you were mentioning, it's amazing how steady the climate change is one of the top three has been basically mm. consistent on, I think it's something like 18% for, for, for years and years and years. So it's not like that's surging, um, although some of the Australian evidence might suggest it is. But anyway, anyway there's not... We're not, it's not a teapot tapes, a Coromandel deal, an Epsom. It doesn't feel as though that's almost going to be necessary. Te Pāti Māori is a very interesting part of the equation. Who knows what will happen with Winston Peters? I don't know if you've heard this before, but my thinking is that you never rule him out. So there are those other potential. Really? Yep, those are the, those other potential forces. I'm ruling him out now. Same. But 18 months ahead, I'm ruling him out. Go on. The, you, you've ruled him out. That's, you've ruled him out every election since rule, 1981. Yeah, and last time I was right. And this time <laughs> I'll be right again. <laughs> um, but but it, is, it is, and I, and I, did, a, I did a chart because I'm sometimes like, 
to do a chart. And it is interesting when you look at those blocks, um, if you take out the COVID, the bad years of COVID, it's basically gone back to where it was before in terms of in terms of <clears throat> looking at National Act mm. as one line and uh, Labor Green as another line, there's a sort of big urn in the in the in in, in my in my in my chart, and then either side, it's pretty much there. It's pretty much neck and neck, and that seems to me that's where we are now, a year and whatever three months away. When I look at this and I, and I almost close my eyes, yeah. it looks like a crocodile's head just oh. above the water, and oh. then my eyelashes are like the bush in front of it. Okay, have you had a lot of flu medication? No. Do you have a pulse oximeter? <laughs> you didn't. Now you didn't have COVID, did you? I didn't have no. COVID. No. Okay. We just want to clear that <clears> up for. I just people, had people like daycare, daycare sickness. Freaking out that we're not doing best practice here. No, I'll, I've always I'll, got my I'll, mask I'll, on. I always I'll, mask. Oh. I do masked pods. Yeah, so. Every why, why single you time. Even, you don't have an N95 though. You need to get a real mask. you What are you? You're, you've got. A flash mask, and it's literally sitting in your hand. So <laughs> you're not exactly. That's that's because I'm a brand ambassador, <laughs> as opposed to somebody who's going to get COVID. Which and is, on his t-shirt today, it says ninety nine point six natural immunity. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Shout out to the Vix Formula Forty Four. Eh? Yes, that shit is lit. Um, let's talk about the Pacific. Um, the We touched on it before. It was the sort of big headline issue that came out of the meeting between Jacinda Ardern and Joe Biden. There was a joint statement that, issue, that was issued by the two countries, and there were various interpretations about how hard it went. But it, it named uh, talk, talked about China's Pacific ambitions. It made particular reference to the Solomon Islands-China Security Pact, uh, which Australia particularly, but the West more generally is concerned, presages some military base in the Solomons, which was is sort of, you know, not just down the road from Australia in geopolitical terms. China responded to that statement really quite angrily, and there was a the in, in the, the the foreign spokesperson's briefing went pretty hard, and then through the Global Times, which is the English-language uh, state-controlled newspaper, really went as far as issuing not even that veiled threat to New Zealand that it could end up in the place that Australia had found itself. In Australia, China relations have been much more fraught than New Zealand-China relations. And it said, I'm paraphrasing, when... Uh, China, when when Australia uh, crossed China and betrayed China, then it lost China as a trade partner, but America stepped in. New Zealand, if it loses China, don't expect the states to step in and you could be left with nothing. Mm. Now, that's a paraphrase, but it's pretty much pretty much what it, what it said. Uh, it's also completely accurate. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's definitely the predicament and there have been 
for years now, but 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 in a couple of speeches by Grant Robertson, quite clearly the encouragement for diversification away from China, which is sensible in any circumstances, more so now than usually that you shouldn't rely so much on uh, one export market, and that's our biggest export market. That then created more attention on the Pacific, and you created this situation, Annabelle, where I mean, I, I did I did an interview with um with 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 someone Kofi, who's the foreign minister from Tuvalu. It's on the spit off this morning, um, and he 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 created um some waves, got some attention at the climate conference in Glasgow last year when he there was a video of him in which it had him in sort of medium in close up, and then the camera at the end zoomed oh, out, yeah. and he was and standing, standing in the sea in the rising sea levels yeah. around uh, the 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 atoll of Funafuti in Tuvalu. Um, and his point, which is not, he's not the first person to make it, but is this is not a totally new thing, superpowers scraping over the Pacific. And the idea that all we are is some kind, that, that the Pacific Islands are some kind of theatre for the ambitions of these superpowers is degrading, was, the, was the, the word he used. And the idea that they had to pick sides is degrading. In terms of the, the Pacific and its role in the broader geopolitical Framework in terms of New Zealand's interests, in terms of Australia's interests, where Penny Wong, the foreign minister, were there. Do you feel as though it sometimes overlooks the kind of sovereignty of nation states? Well, I think in terms of the sovereignty of our Pacific Island whanaunga, we've completely tuckahed all over their mana for decades and decades and decades and centuries. And, like, I mean, one of the... Um, one of the only political assassinations in New Zealand happened... In Newear Island, where I think his name was, was it David Larson, um, who was the ambassador there and basically imprisoned half of Newear and imposed um, curfews on them and then ended up um, getting murdered by three prisoners who they then tried to execute all around the Pacific. You know, kind of shows the colonial attitudes that New Zealand and Australia has had in the Pacific. So, yes, I think definitely so. I think the other problem that's happened, though, is America, which ironically is completely bordered on one side by the Pacific, has Mm. absolutely neglected its role and taken the Pacific for granted. It's been so busy racking around Europe that it's completely and trying to, you know, screw up the Middle East for the last few decades, that it's completely ignored its responsibilities to foster relationships in the Pacific. And I guess it kind of deputised Australia and New Zealand, and they took their eyes off the ball too and, again, took a really sort of colonial patronising approach to our Pacific for knowing it. I mean, New, Ze- New Zealand trade says is... That, everyone says that New Zealand's taken its eye off the ball and hasn't respected the Pacific Islands and has let China fill in the breach. But, you know, what's China done? Build some expensive courthouses, give them infrastructure development, build vital ports. <laughs> we are sending an LGBTQ plus ambassador. <laughs> well, well, sick well, well, move, China. Sick well, you know why the, 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 truth, the true story, the, the, the only down. reason that the, the Chinese oh. foreign minister was, went on a, went on a, uh, was it, I think, a, a eight day, 10 state trip across. Across 
Pacific Islands trying to trying to do this deal with all Saint of those Send Lewis to do a leave Didn't do it. But what your argument, Ben, is that that would not have been possible, that China would not have been able to fill that vacuum if it hadn't been for the withdrawal of Shane Jones <laughs> as Pacific, <laughs> Pacific Ambassador. China, to be, China to be saw fair, a they're vacuum. Probably, they're, they're probably hit the GDP from hospitality in the Pacific. But, you know, speaking, speaking of Shane Jones, actually, for all of his myriad of... Faults. One thing that um, Winston Peters did a really good job of was fostering his relationships um, in the Pacific, and he was a really popular um, minister throughout the Pacific Islands and had a really good handle on what was going on. And I remember when the NIA was first announced as mm. Minister for Local Government and Minister for MFAP, we talked on this pod about how those are kind of mutually exclusive job roles. And that's kind of been camouflaged somewhat by COVID over the last couple of years. But she really needs to get in the walker and um, and working with yeah. urgency on those relationships. And visits the South Island mayors. The, the well, yeah, South Island mayors trip to <laughs> Tukalau. The 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 you're right. Winston Peters did have quite a lot of mana for his work in the Pacific, and he so when he cropped up on one of the programs recently to to criticise and say he, his his argument was that I think as you put it, that New Zealand had taken its eye off the ball in terms of its commitment to Pacific neighbours. The Nanaia point is an interesting one. Criticism has come from ACT, from National, from some other quarters that, particularly with the side of Penny Wong going immediately after. Uh, Labour won in Australia to silence. Where, where's Nanaya? I think was the headline on an act press release, and it is. It's is that, she's fair? Embroiled, is that fair? Well, she's embroiled in three borders. You know, like they had a huge. Well, she, she's policy. been to the Pacific. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's there's, there's no argument that she just hasn't. You know, has ignored that whole mm. area. Um, you know, Penny Wong probably you know glad to get on her first state outing, um, the first motorcade. <laughs> I mean, the, the Nanaima Huda's response not, is about we don't Nanaya, want to overreact. No, but I think it's not about, it's not, you know, that sort of slightly racist rhetoric about Nanaya's being lazy in the Pacific. It's not that, but, mm. you know, um, Three Borders is a huge piece of policy. And I think given that the government knew that they were doing this, it was, again, not a great idea to give her both of those portfolios. And perhaps they should, she should be handing local government over to someone else so that she can focus solely on MFAT. Mm. Um, uh, Penny Henere is in Singapore, and he's going to be talking about the Pacific there. Um, there are other other movements happening there's the the uh, Arden is going to Australia on th- today? today 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 for tomorrow because there's they're not taking the plane I don't think but have a chat uh, have a nice chat have a nice meal um, so there are things happening in the region and then the big one it will be in July although the dates haven't yet been announced and and there's been a the Pacific Islands Forum will be held in Suva I think. Dates haven't been out. It's going to be a big deal. Uh, I think that New Zealand and Australia will both be wanting to make it very clear that they're present and committed and engaged in that in that forum. It's the first one in person for a while because of COVID. They just recently, in the last few days, have reached an accommodation because there was a lot of internal struggle with the Micronesian states uh, uh, saying that they were going to leave because of a leadership thing. Anyway, that's going to be a, a big deal coming up next month. Let's talk 
Can I just Finally, say, it's yes. really interesting yes. when you think about the geopolitics of the Pacific, when you look at it through an Indigenous lens. And one of the things that I find interesting is when people say, oh, well, America is our, our what, what's the phrase, our natural partner, our um, into, into mm. by comparison to China. And it's mm. like, why? Because they're like a white colonial I think people are for because they're because, democracy. democracy. Because actually, um, I don't think that because they indigenous, pay... indigenous Pacific Islanders, including yeah. us, would actually necessarily see it that way. And in terms of what our what our policy should be going forward, you know, drawing from Maori concepts like mana motuhake, hmm. you know, we do absolutely need to have our own independent policy that is about our own sovereignty, our food sovereignty, our economic sovereignty and all of those things. And, and, and I mean, you're referring to that piece again for the Tuvalu and Foreign Minister. He talks a little bit about some of those, those concepts, the kind of Pacific ideas of a kind of collective... Collective ownership, collective responsibility, and and, and those sorts of things. And which when may, you may look at how, so. how the Pacific's been used and abused by you know places like the US and New Zealand and Australia, um, you know we made a documentary called Coast Watchers about you know the Cook Islanders' um, contribution to World War Two and just how we completely overlooked and ignored that later on. Like we've got a lot of work to do. Oh, on it look, on every level, on the diplomatic levels, you know, although, you know, look, aid we've been, you know, trying to get into gear. Murray McCulley got a lot of flack for redirecting our foreign aid budget to the Pacific directly away from, you know, through the big fat slushy. And I mean, New Zealand aid was basically a big fat slushy fund for failed consultants who came up with all sorts of harebrained schemes <laughs> to roll out in the Pacific that were by and large unmitigated disasters. No, that's right. We, we, we need more good CCP schemes to address climate change like filling in atolls with just enough concrete to launch fighter jets <laughs> off. <laughs> um, I think the time's come to talk about the Queen, just very briefly. I, I think it's important. Queen Got a, pretty, pretty 70 years. That's good. You can't fault that. 96 years old. My, my, we named her, we named her. <laughs> Did you see the New Zealand's, New Zealand's contribution which perhaps kind of reflects <laughs> a, a level of commitment to, to it would have been different on the. I don't know what we did. I don't know what we did with the fiftieth fiftieth jubilee, whatever that is. That gold, whatever it was. Yeah. But this time, what we did is we named a path <laughs> on Stewart cool. Island. Yeah. <laughs> we renamed a path cool. on Stewart Island uh, for her Queen Elizabeth. Main, she's already she got stoked? lots of stuff though. Was she's she pumped? Parks and Love that things. pool in Christchurch. She's got pool. Good oh, yeah. You know what? If it had been a like a like a horse trick, that what she would have been she's like fizzing, fizzing <laughs> hard. Um, but is there a horse lane on this trick? I reckon or? you could take a horse there. Yeah. Um, oh. The my my concern is this. Mm. She's. The, the good the good thing about her is she has this sort of dignity. She makes the British Prime Ministers feel a bit foolish in the way a lot of them, you know, I don't know, they're weird, a lot of them. Uh, that's important. But She's mana vibes, she's for got, sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. She's got mummy vibes. As no, mana vibes. Mummy vibes. Mummy vibes. The, well, well, Charles yeah. called him mummy. 
in that in his thing, which is just weird. Tina's having a meltdown. I think this is, I think this is a generational thing. I don't like. Um, you know what? I was I was vibing with that. We're up with the TikTok slang I was so into that, and I was like, man, I hope like my kids it. call me mama uh, when no. they're like. Well, good. I hope like, they do too. But I don't want them to be the head of state. When they call, they're like, well, it's just the thing. Here's my, here's the thing, right? Like, at least she has this kind of gravitas and mummy mana. Mm. <laughs> but, but he, when she, God forbid that she might one day die, 96, Charles is not going to be able to stop himself from trying to, he'll be over here inspecting that path and saying, <laughs> I want to regrow it with these particular, with tarragon or something. You know, <laughs> he will not be able to stop himself from intervening in ways that, you know, that the, the, the role only works when, when it is, the powers are never used, right? Yeah, and look, John Key wrote a searching and penetrating article last year, I think, about what we could learn from our friends in North Korea. And was that the one that was published in seven different outlets? Seven different outlets, great. including the exclusive to the spin-off plus six other outlets. Was it? Um, did you guys publish? No, 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 no. We just ranked. We just ranked the different versions. Um, but. Uh, the head of state in North Korea is Kim Il-sung, who is now about 110 years old. He's He's dead. dead. He's dead. But he's still a great head of state. He does all the things that you want. He's got dignity and gravitas. He never interferes. He never uses his reserve powers. I like it. Because he's dead. I like it. Uh, But pictures of him everywhere, great affection amongst the populace. I've I'm got a book of his quotes. So you're saying Queen inspirational figure. Elizabeth should remain the head of state yeah. even when she's in the ground. I think that was what the public wants. I don't think the public want her to relinquish the title. So, yeah. I just can't be ruled by by Camilla's husband because I'm Team Diana like for <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not down with that. Okay. Can't, can't be ready for another civil war in a, in all right. Well, I think again we've solved everything. Tina, have you got anything to add to? to Did the, you take notes, the, Tina, the, to like the to action? What our action points are after this yeah. podcast? Yeah. Yes, I did. Send, yeah. lots of notes. Send them off to Andrew Campbell. Uh, many thanks, uh, beloved listeners. Many thanks, Annabelle, Ben, Tina, Ti here, who's um, working from home and going to cobble this together, and you, beloved listeners. Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.